The road of true life is a hard road, but God has given us just what we need to go on walking on that road in each other. God gives us relationships to build us up and to challenge us, to help us, to equip us for the way that Jesus invites us to walk on, which we are not able to walk on alone, but we don't have to because he's given us each other. And the devil knows this. And if he can't keep us from getting on the road of life, his strategy will be to ruin the relationships which God has given us, which support us on that way. Listen, so that we can't work together, but instead we're at odds with each other. So that we lose the joy and the brilliance of the gift of friendship, so that instead of being colleagues, we become competitors. So that family, instead of being a source of joy and an encouragement, becomes a drain and a source of deep and horrible hurt. So that even disciples who profess the name of Jesus together, instead of working with each other, become suspicious, dividing up, and enemies. The devil is clever in separating us from God's way. Do some of you know that? Your spouse does 10 things which are generous, thoughtful, kind, but there's one little thing and the devil works on that in your memory and mind. Does some of you know that? Yeah? Or your brother was good to you all along growing up, always there beside you, but the devil fogs your memories of all those good things and then with crystal clarity, he lifts that one selfish thing your brother did and that's all you think of when his name is mentioned. Do you experience that? Don't nod if you're sitting next to your brother right now. That'd be weird. <laughs> uh, he didn't keep you all from coming to church this morning, right? So you might think, ah, victory. No, no, he'll do very subtle things to make sure that you don't connect with each other here. That person that you've never met, who you're sitting beside, they're going to look at you and because they're shy, it's not gonna be a lot of warmth, but he'll make sure you interpret that as a smug glance of self-righteousness and superiority. And, and then while you're looking at them thinking, why are they judging me? Uh, he's putting the same exact thought in their mind and there you go. Right? Or, or someone new came to church this morning, which we celebrate, right? That's good. But then when you walked all the way up those stairs, the devil directed that new person to your seat. That's your seat, right? And so the first thing, I know some of you are like, yeah, yeah. And someone up here, he's not usually sitting there. That's the way, that's the, way the separator, and that's what the word devil means in part in Greek. Diablain means the one who splits apart. That's one of the many ways he works to undermine the gift that God has given us in the relationships that we have with each other, the gifts that make life not only manageable but joyful, that make it so we can stay on the path that Jesus invites us on, that make it so we benefit from that path and then the world has light in it because we walk together. Oh, he wants to stop that. And what I want to show you this morning very simply is, is what the devil's strategy is in creating disharmony. And that's what he wants. And if you're a person who doesn't believe, when you hear the word devil, you think, that's not something I believe in. Listen, set aside that name. The scriptures use many other names for it. The power of evil, the power of the air, the rulers and authorities of this present darkness. This morning, I want to try to show you some of the strategies that are useful in dividing. But then I also want to show you, more importantly, how Jesus, if we'll let him be our guide, offers very concrete guidance to stay together and to be enriched ourselves from the gifts that God has given us in the relationships with which 
He's blessed us. I want to start there on how good it is when relationships go as they're meant to. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we receive the teaching that comes from a very wise sage who lived life and then reflected on what he learned and shared it so that we ourselves would benefit. And in the fourth chapter of Ecclesiastes, there's a meditation on the value of relationships. It starts in verse nine. Let's take these and we'll see four uh, relationships uh, one at a time. First, in verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, this is a very simple statement about the benefit of the relationships that we can have with colleagues and with people to work beside. Toil uh, it's just a simple word for what life is like. When you have a project to accomplish, it takes a lot of work, whether it's an endeavor that you and friends are at together or you on your own have something uh, important that requires the, the strategic exercise of energy. Life involves toil, work, and when two people work together, it's better than one person working alone. They have a reward for their output that is more than the addition of each one's expenditure of energy. In, in, in a sense, when you get to work with someone, one plus one is more than two. Does some of you know that? Yeah, it's just great. When, and not only in terms of the output, but haven't you ever had that experience where you work with someone that you didn't know before and afterward your life expands because now you know someone new and it's such a joy to see their skills be brought into a project together. H haven't you experienced this? Yeah, so that's a good gift that God has given us in relationships, colleagues, so that we can work with each other. Look at the second one. This is verse 10. For if they fall... One will lift up the other. But woe to the one who's alone and falls and does not have another to help. Does anyone in here know what it's like to be walking along in life and to fall? To give your heart to someone and they don't love you back? Or to have a project that you're working at together and, and instead of it thriving, it just falls to bits and your hopes and your dreams have to evaporate right there before you? Uh, some of you know what it's like to be um, in such desperate straits with depression and anxiety that some substance offers itself as a promising relief and before you know it, you're addicted. And now the claws of addiction are in you and it is too much. I'm saying the truth, right? It's too much to go at that alone. And here we learn that when a person has a friend, that's the second one, friends, when you have friends with you on the path of life, then it's okay because you can fall down and that other will help you up. Does anyone know that from experience? If you can think of that person, would you thank God silently for that person in your heart right now? Oh, I have some friends like that who've helped me up. That is a second gift which God gives us to make the road of life manageable. Colleagues, friends, look at the third. This is verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Uh, in the environment in which this was written, and this is uh, many generations before even Jesus came, the homes in Palestine had no central heating. There was no heating system for your home. And when there was a dwelling that was humble, a family that lived together in the cold evenings of the winter, they would all cuddle together in the same bed under the same blanket, and they had comfort because of the warmth that was generated as they stayed near each other. It's a nice image, isn't it? 
I mean, this image also can be applied to other, um, well, I'll use your imagination, but listen, this is a, a, a note of the blessing of kindred when things are going well for family. And do you know in here right now how wonderful it is when kids are getting along in the same family? Or when, when there's a, a good connection between the children and mom or the children and dad, how great that is. Or when the parents feel proud of their little ones as they're growing and those children feel nurtured and loved by their, their parents. Or when spouses are getting along and loving each other well. Do you know how good that is? Do some of you know that? Oh, it is such a great gift. The comfort that's given is, is like nothing else. Look at verse 12. This is the last relational uh, bit. And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. Uh, this is a picture of a fight where there's an attacker and a defender. And in this image, the attacker, the, the, the one who comes against uh, the, the defender is stronger, and, and this one cannot prevail. However, when there's another one beside, then those two together can stand up to the, to the enemy. And this is a picture of the benefit of allies. And so if you've ever experienced life as a battle, and you know that sometimes it feels like it's coming against you, what you need to survive is someone to fight with you right beside you. You need an ally. And now, if we accept the, the, the worldview that is certainly in this teacher's mind and was in Paul's mind and in Jesus' mind and in the minds of all of the apostles and all of the disciples after him, that life feels like a battle because there is, in fact, a, a series of powers and principalities. There are powers of this present darkness which are aligned against us. Here we see the benefit that comes in having an ally because when one against one will be knocked down when there's two standing beside, there's nothing to be afraid of. And this is a fourth gift that God has given us in the relationships that we need to keep walking on the road. Do, do some of you know these gifts? I need something more than I've received from you so far. Yes? Okay. And listen, the devil also knows how good they are for you. And because the one who is the deceiver, the accuser, the one who separates, if he can't keep you from walking after God or going on the road so that here you are on this Sunday morning, he will work at frustrating every one of these relationships because of the support they give you. He will make it so that instead of working together with your colleagues, you'll be at odds with each other so that you can't do what requires a lot of hands pulling in the same direction to be done. And that will be something that he'll endeavor to do. Would you look around you here in this room? Uh, I saw one of you look around. Um, but, but you see, all of us, imagine if we all work together, how strong that could be in the world. Instead of each one on their own feeling dissatisfied with what's happening in the world, what if we all got together and moved forward and we joined forces with those early birds who came to the first service and we even invited in those folks who are lazy enough to stay till the five o'clock? <laughs> like, think of it. Well, the devil will know. And the same goes with friendships. Uh, not only the unique joy that comes with friends, which is distasteful to the enemy who wants you to be unhappy, but also the strength that comes when you have someone to rely on and to, who can help you up when you fall and can encourage you and even challenge you. Uh, with each of the um, gifts, 
maybe the most potent is the gift of a family that is nurturing and loving and causes you to feel confident and joyful. I hope that some of you have that in your families. I did, and I do still. But, but yeah, that's a, something that the devil will go against and, and try to take away from you so that you don't thrive and blossom. And then lastly, for us all together, the potential for us as disciples with each other to find ourselves being allies against the enemy, standing side by side, and not just us, but all of those who call themselves by the name of Christian. Think of how many churches are in this town alone who, who never are, are fighting side by side. Can you imagine? The devil can, and that's why he tries to undo it. How does he operate? On Tuesday this week, I had the pleasure of sitting with someone who's been coming to this, um, this church uh, for lunch. And of course, we ate pizza. And there we were together at my favorite spot down in town. And he said to me, Christian, you've been talking about this evil one. How does he actually operate, do you think? Like, in, in what way does this influence actually occur, like practically speaking? Has have anyone, anyone else ever wondered about that? Yeah. So, so there we were, and I, we had a great conversation. He shared his thoughts. I um, tried to unfold it a bit myself, and it occurred to me that um, to dwell here for a minute would be helpful this morning. Uh, and I'll tell you this. The Bible doesn't give anywhere a kind of mechanistic description of exactly how it happens. On the other hand, there's, um, there's imagery from which we can infer enough to have some clarity about the way in which this spiritual power that is aligned against good would in fact operate in our lives. And I bet if you uh, attend to this, you'll find something that maybe resonates with your own experience. In Ephesians 2, Paul, the apostle there, is thinking about what life was like for the people in that church before God put them on the road of life. Look at what he wrote in Ephesians 2.1. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Now, Paul's thinking about the time before those folks knew the grace of God and got on the path of life, how they were like people who, though they were alive, were dead because they were stuck in their trespasses and sins. Some of you have that memory as well in your own life. And, and then this was the way in which they once lived. Look at that phrase, in which you once lived. In Greek, the word there is walked. Not lived, but walked. He's thinking about the path the destruction that you used to be on, and then with three phrases that come one after another, he offers a metaphor in each one that helps us understand the way the devil works. Look at the first, following the course of this world. Now, Paul here is envisioning a gathering of people who have a course set before them, and the world itself is going on that course. There's a great crowd. Innumerable people are walking on it. And this is the path that the devil wants you on. Maybe you were on it. You got off it a bit. He wants to get you back on it. How does he do it? The power of suggestion, the ability not to make you do anything, but rather to give some thoughts or feelings in you that he can then fan into the power that moves you in a different direction. That's how he operates. And he has the benefit of the crowd on his side so he can influence you with this simple phrase. Everyone else is going in that way. Uh, who likes to really stand out here and be unlike everybody else? See, not only one person, because only one person raised their hand. So, so the devil will say, if you go that way, everyone will think less of you. Or you'll be upsetting to the people around you. Who here really likes making people unhappy? Right? You like making people, are anyone a people pleaser? He knows that. And what the devil will do is appeal to your sense of insecurity. 
or the things that you're a little bit shy about or afraid of and suggest that if you go that way, it's going to become worse for you. And that's how, first of all, he influences people to go on this course that everyone else is going on. Look at the second phrase. This is verse two. Following the ruler of the power of the air. It's a kind of clumsy and awkward phrase. Maybe a, a, a more immediate way to capture it is with the single word atmosphere. Do you know what it's like to be in an atmosphere that is just really positive? Uh, you're at your friend's house and it's just comfortable. You're all sitting together and there's laughter and there's, you're just, it's, it's pleasurable to be there. The food is great. You're, you're enjoying good drinks with each other. Uh, you're not thinking about anything in life which is bad, but rather you're just filled with a sense of gratitude. You're eating melted cheese with bread. Do you, do you, anyone else? Right? That's a good atmosphere. But do you know the opposite experience? Where no matter how hard you try, it just feels uncomfortable. Uh, you can't even put your finger on it, but you're unsettled. There's a kind of feeling of tension in the air that you could cut with a knife. That's a bad atmosphere. With this phrase, following the ruler of the power of the air, Paul indicates a second truth about how the devil operates. That is that he can, in fact, influence the atmosphere in which we find ourselves. How? Think of the first thing. By inclining the minds and hearts, not just of one, but of large crowds of people, the devil can make an environment where it feels like the right thing to do is to be aggressive, where the right thing to do is to fight mean, where the right thing to do is to fight back with the same kind of evil that came at you, where, where all kinds of violence feels like the norm rather than forgiveness and grace and peace. And that's a second way that, that the power of the air operates, to put us in atmospheres where it's much harder to go the right way rather than the wrong. Look at the third phrase, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. That's Paul's way of saying, look, there are many who are going in the different way than God wants them to. And listen, think of greed or cruelty. Think of hatred that has no foundation against someone who is good. Now think of the kind of injustice and oppression that breaks your heart. That's the kind of work that is uh, happening among those who are disobedient. And the spirit that is at work among them in Greek, maybe a better way to put that is, the inspiring spirit. Uh, does some of you know that the word spirit in Greek is pneuma, which is the same word from which the, uh, we get the word wind. A wind is an invisible force, which even though you can't see it, has the dynamic capacity to move things from one way to another. And here Paul is saying, that's also how the devil operates. Not that he can make you go in this direction rather than that, but he can create the conditions where everything's ready for you to go sailing off in that direction. Imagine you're a sailboat on the water. Just because the wind is blowing this way doesn't mean the boat's gonna go that way. It all depends on how you, how you trim the sails and what you do with the tiller so that the rudder steers you this way or that. I see a few people who are sailing who are completely with me, all right? The wind creates the potential, but it's up to you how you steer. And in all of the relationships that God gives us, all of them, the devil will be the one who's blowing the wind in the wrong direction rather than the right. And where we go all comes down to how we choose to respond to his invitations to go with the crowd 
uh, to those inclinations in our minds or to the atmosphere that he creates or to the dynamic power of the spirit that moves us. And listen, I'll be very concrete. His impact on your relationships and on my relationships depends on whether we will yield to the desire for revenge, for example. Does anyone else know that sweet feeling of revenge? Do you or not? Be honest. Yeah. Will you give in to the temptation for that or not? Uh, Will you give in to the attraction of what it feels like to look down on another person? Will you let that temptation to feel superior? Will you let that become the thing that moves you or not? Will you uh, accept the allure of harboring resentment? That sweet feeling of having a reason, yet again, to be angry at that other person. The relief, will you give in to the relief of nursing a memory of wrong that was done to you? Will you play it over in your mind again and again and fall in love with being the victim of that wrong? Will you do that or not? The devil wants you to. Uh, Will you experience that twisted delight of feeling jealous? Uh, Will you... It yield to the thrilling tension of feeding suspicion. Do you know what I mean by that? You see that person and maybe they, they have a good motive, but maybe not. And now you start to write a little story about how bad they are and you like that. It feels good and you keep going down that road. Will you indulge your hunger for a sense of entitlement? I deserve better. I, want, I should be treated. Anyone else like to enjoy those delicacies? Please help me out here. I feel lonely. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or the thirst for a feeling of superiority and the ability to look down on another person and say, at least I'm not as unrighteous as they are. Listen, the devil's going to inspire us with every one of those delicacies. And the question as to whether we give in or not is truly up to us. And I want to say why. Not because you have the strength that you need on your own, but because God in his grace has joined us on the way that we have to walk on and has decided to provide us with his own spirit to empower us so that we can receive the gifts of the relationships that he has for us and stand against, and this is Paul's uh, um, phrase from Ephesians, the wiles of the devil, all of his schemes. We don't need to give in to any of them. God doesn't want us to, but whether we will or not comes down really to how we use the agency which God has given us as men and women who have the ability to choose this way or that. Are you with me? Which way should we choose? Look at this phrase. This comes from Paul's letter to the Roman church in a very concise fashion. He tells them what they should do. Here it is, Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. And harmony is a very wisely chosen image there for the kind of relationships that God wants us to have with colleagues and with friends and with kindred and with allies. Harmony, if you're a musician, you know, It's that uniquely beautiful phenomenon that occurs when two notes, which are different from one another, are played together in such a way that they enrich one another. They support one another. They make something that moves your heart in a way that one note all by itself never, ever could. They result in those songs which not only get in your head, but which inspire and move you to go forward in life in the best possible way. Harmony is why the Beatles are superior to every other band ever. 
I see a few of you nodding, right. And if you don't know yet, too bad for you. The way that God invites us to live with each other is to stop trying to force one another to be the same note altogether, but rather to accept and embrace the differences that God himself has made into us. Listen, this is not an excuse to go off in the wrong direction and say, well, this is the note that uh, I'm supposed to sing. No, no, no. When we sing together the melody that, that God himself has given us, we will find that with each other, the output is brilliant and beautiful in a way that inspires us, enlivens our song, and blesses the world. And that's what God wants. And the devil doesn't want that. He doesn't. He wants us off singing our own songs in anger and resentment and bitterness alone. But God wants us to get together with each other here and with others who are bearing the name of Christ and trying to walk on this road and then sing for the good of the world. Live in harmony. Now, if we will say, all right, let's do it. What we can do very simply is discover that Jesus who in one place is called the author and perfecter of our faiths. We could uh, take that image and make it into the composer, the one who's composing all of us here together into a song. He teaches on every page of scripture, you'll see this in the New Testament. He teaches us how to accept the gifts of the relationships he's given us and defend ourselves against the wiles of the devil. And I commend to you a lifetime of studying his way to find your feet on the path of life. This morning, let me show you very simply how for each one of the relationship areas that Ecclesiastes teaches us about, Jesus has something to show us for how to stand up against the work of the devil. Colleagues, let's start there. Okay, to sow disharmony between you and potential colleagues, and by that I mean coworkers, people to do the toil of life together with, the devil will encourage you to feel superior to, to the people around you. That's what he's gonna do. And he's gonna encourage you to have very clear vision about the things that they are doing wrong and correspondingly blindness to the things that you're doing wrong. Do you know what I mean by that? He's gonna make sure that when they do something that's not right, you will judge them for having a faulty character, but when you do the same thing, he's gonna make sure you have a good reason to blame it on circumstances. I just had a really bad breakfast this morning. That's all, right? That's what he's gonna do. And so, to make you stand up against this, Jesus teaches, this is Matthew 7, 1, these words, do not judge so that you may not be judged. Of course, Jesus is thinking about the end when we stand before the judgment of God and that in that moment, our mercy toward others will reflect our reception of God's mercy toward us. But he also is thinking about how it works in human relationships. Don't you know that the moment you start judging another person and they get even a little whiff of it, guess what they're doing back to you? Do you know this? They're judging you. And, and, and it's not right. And Jesus said, you are the servant of God just as they are. And so stop judging the servants of another. Who are you to do that, Paul asks. And the answer is we're all servants, and so that's not our responsibility. But the tempter will make us think, but hold on a second, they're really bad people. Do you see the thing they're doing wrong there? And then you're gonna, and then you're gonna say, you know what else? They're really judgmental people too those people on the far right or those people on the far left. Oh, they're so judgmental. It's so good that I don't judge others like they do. They're the worst. Do you see? He's sneaky. And so Jesus says, okay, here's the solution for colleagues so that you stop separating from one another and get to work together. Don't 
pass judgment on what that person's wearing, on their political viewpoints, even on the ideas that they have which are different than yours, set those aside and for goodness sake, take a look for, for just one minute at what unites you all. Can I tell you what unites you all no matter where you stand on any ideas? Christ died for every one of you. There's not a person you'll ever meet for whom you could say, well, Christ didn't die for that one. It's just not true. He died for the sins of the whole world. That's a direct quote from John. And so that's the first thing. Jesus says, don't judge. Stop judging. And then the moment you find it rising in you again, and the devil says, but hold on a second. What about this? And then just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to remember Jesus. Don't judge. That's the gift Jesus gives us for colleagues. Let's look at the second relational sphere that uh, we've learned about in Ecclesiastes. How about friends? Uh, the devil has one million ways to ruin your friendships. Uh, he'll play on your insecurities so that instead of cooperating with your friends, you're going to try to outdo one another. Uh, he's going to make you jealous of your friend's success. Have any of you experienced that? So that your friendship just disappears? I remember senior year, I wanted the lead in the play. My friend Mike got the lead in the play. I had to play Mr. Mushnick. <laughs> but we, we got over it, Okay. The devil will plant seeds of envy in your heart so that instead of rejoicing with their success, you'll feel bitter. He'll let you taste the thrill of gossiping about one person in your group when they're not there. And when your friends laugh at what you're saying about them, it'll make your, your pride swell. And then you'll, you'll be just, does some of you know that? And here's Jesus comes along and says this. This is a gift for friends. John 13, 34. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you also should love one another. And there it is, a beautiful guidepost for friends. Think about the way that Jesus has loved you, his grace for you, his forgiveness for you, which is new every single day, his patience with you, which has no end at all, his magnificent mercy and kindness to always be present for you. There's no friend like Jesus. And Jesus says, here, this is how you should be with each other. The way that I love you, that's how you should love your friends. By the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know about the love that Jesus has for you, take up the gospel of John from which this line comes and read it from cover to cover. And each time you see this man doing something amazingly loving or tender, know that it's done for you. And then that's a, a guide for you. Here's how you can be friends. Let's look at the fourth, uh, allies. Um, excuse me, kindred, third. I skipped over the third. Uh, kindred. How about kindred? Do you know how miserable life becomes when family starts functioning uh, poorly? I can tell you that as a pastor, it's one of the things that the longer I relate to people, the more plainly I see that just as family can be a blessing, it can be a curse which is far too painful to manage for anyone. And, and, and the truth is, it's hard for me even to have this as just one of four because in fact, I think that the way that kindred can grind us and our souls deep into the pits of darkness deserves more than one quarter. Perhaps it deserves four messages just on its own. Do some of you know that? Um, let, me, let me give you just one thing this morning on kindred. You ready? Uh, one of the devil's most effective strategies 
is to make it occur to you that your life would be so much better if only that other person who's close to you would change in certain ways. If only she was more understanding. If only he was more dedicated. If only they would get on the path that I want. If only uh, my child would go that way instead of that. Over and again, the devil is constantly working at keeping our eyes on the things of, of the people around us that aren't right in our families. And then he adds this second thought to that attention that he puts in your mind toward the, to the, towards their faults. And this is where he's got you and you're hosed. That's a technical word for it. He makes you think, I can change them. I can change them. I'll make them different and better. And the moment you think that, you're done. And here, look at what Jesus says to the person who's tempted with that. He asks a question. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not see the log in your own? Let that image sink in for a minute. You can't see a speck when you have a log in your own eye, and it's absurd. And of course, that's what Jesus wants us to know about kindred. Just one of the many things that we could learn about kindred is that the moment we stop trying to change the people around us and instead say, God, help me with this Get it, help me see, help me grow, help me change, help me become the person who follows you more faithfully. Try that on and watch how the, the conflict in your family can shift and so many things that used to grind you down will no longer take you apart, but rather Jesus will change you for the better in your family. That's the third area. Now the fourth, how about allies? The devil wants us to divide up from other disciples so that we will have to face the battles that life includes all by ourselves. And when that happens, we will lose. And I'm sure of this. Uh, it, you see it in the New Testament already. And any of you who've lived through a, a sad episode of another Christian going from being a friend to becoming an adversary so that you split apart and go different directions. Know how detrimental to you personally and to the kingdom of God it is when allies divide up instead of staying, to get, staying together. Yes? And, and listen, this one it, I'm really serious about because what I see here is, is an enormous potential that frightens the devil very much if we would stay together and work together in the battle that is before us. And so he wants to thwart it. And I know the potential to take it apart is strong, which is why Paul in very clear words says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's very clear and already someone's thinking, I would be at peace with them if only they would, right? That's why the middle clause is there. So far as it depends on you. Here is an invitation from Paul who is surely inspired by Jesus to look at all of our differences, to look at all of the things that make us suspicious of one another, the things that we're sure aren't right in that other, and put them on one side and then ask, in what measure do I have the capacity to foster peace in this relationship? And then whatever measure you have to embrace that and go with it. And can I tell you, that there's something that unites us that is so much more profound than all of the things which divide, it, divide us up. It is that all of us are equally the recipients of God's mercy, every one of us, and all of us equally don't deserve it. And, and listen now, if that makes you feel guilty or sad, please listen to me. 
It's not meant to inspire that kind of thought in you, but rather the light and free joy that comes with finally accepting that whether you know it or not, you are more beloved by God than you could ever ask or imagine or dream. And with that foundation, why then? You can move forward on the path of life with colleagues and you can embrace the friendships that God has given you by being a good friend and you can become a person in a family who walks in the way that only you can walk in to bring the light and love that only you can bring and then together we can be at work with each other to move forward as allies on this great path that God is inviting you and Renaissance Church on all together. What do you say? It sounds good, right? Yes. Now you're inspired. Are some of you inspired? Yeah, and you want to do some things differently, right? Here's the devil's last strategy. He's going to make you think about your brother who you need to reach out to or your mom who you need to call or that colleague that you need to say, look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And what he's going to make you say is, I'm definitely going to do that the day after tomorrow. Right? And so here, I want to, I want to try this out. This is imaginative, but try it. Would you pretend with me that the world is going to end on Tuesday morning? Let's not be alarmed. God is good. And what, what, what comes after that is his love is poured out on us in a way we cannot even dream. It's going to be so good. But, but let's imagine that. The world is going to end on Tuesday morning. And so it's time for you to call that person that you've not said what you need to say to and say it. It's time for you to show love to absolutely every person around you because time's running out. It's time for you to let go of the resentment, call that person on the phone who wronged you and say, hello, I forgot the bad thing you did, and then hang up on them. <laughs> Don't wait. Don't wait. Walk forward now and do it. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you so much for the gift of relationships which you've given us in our lives, for the gifts of friends, for the gifts of family who nurture and strengthen us, for the gift of the family of faith, which even if our own mother and fathers forsake us, that you, you take us up with new spiritual mothers and fathers. We thank you for coworkers and colleagues to be at, at work with in the endeavors that you inspire us toward. And we thank you that none of us at all has to fight alone, that this battle which is too strong for any one of us is a battle that we have the benefit of each other, standing beside one another as allies. God, in every way that the devil inspires and moves and encourages and undermines us so that we don't embrace the gifts of relationship, would you help us stand strong together? And then lastly, I pray right now that you would not let any of us wait until tomorrow or the next day, but rather you'd inspire us with a deep and certain thought that time is short and we must move forward now with the good things that you've inspired us in our hearts to go toward. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.